Broadcasting live from the Business Radio X studios in Atlanta, Georgia, it's time for Atlanta Business Radio, spotlighting the city's best businesses and the people who lead them. Lee Cantor here with Stone Payton. Uh, episode, what are you going to call this, 1.5 of the ATDC radio series? I think it's officially episode two of the ATDC radio series. We are broadcasting live from ATDC. And I think for the next couple of months, maybe we've got this uh, conference room out front where we come and we sit up and we get the Waffle House coffee and all that. But if everything goes according to plan, I think you can probably count on us having a permanent Business Radio X studio right here at ATDC. Uh, but regardless, however we pull it off, we're going to continue to be visiting with some bright, passionate folks out there getting the job done. We have three such entrepreneurs in this particular series today on this uh, episode two. We're going to hear from Andrew with Trust Stamp and Ugo with Beloved. But first up on ATDC Radio for this segment, please join me in welcoming to the program from Ad Reform and another organization, I think, as well. User feed. Mr. <laughs> Landon Bennett. How are you, man? Hey, guys. Thanks for having me. Good morning. So, Landon, uh, what do you want to talk about first, Ad Reform or User Feed? Uh, we can talk about both. I spend are they half my time. Are they connected or is there a common so, thread? Yeah, I'll give you a little bit of a background. So um, first, I'll kind of give an explanation of kind of what we do. So ad reform is a, a, a tool that basically helps companies, ad tech companies, uh, show proof of their ads online and also measure the user experience of ads. And then user feed is a tool to help you gather uh, product feedback and then derive insights from customer conversations that you're having, sp specifically like su support conversations. So now is this your first go round at ATDC? Uh, it, it's my first as a founder. Mm -hmm. um, I previously was at another company in town called Rigger and um, was there for a long time. And we, we actually went through the whole uh, program, you know, uh, signature, graduated. Um, and it was a great experience. So I decided to come back and, and do it again when I started a company. Now, why was it important for you to come back to ATDC? Um, I think it's kind of two things. So the community is awesome. <laughs> um, being able to meet a bunch of other founders um, and just talk about, uh, to me, that's super helpful because none of us really know exactly what we're doing. And so being able to talk to, <laughs> to other people about things that are working for them or things that aren't working for them um, is really helpful. And then also uh, there's some other programs internally where um, they'll actually match you up with bigger kind of enterprise companies that are coming through and want to meet with different companies. Um, and it gives you a chance to, to have meetings with those companies and potentially build relationships with them. So that's also been really helpful in the past. And so I wanted to, to get back involved. Now, um Founding one company is hard enough, but what makes you want to do two at the same time? Yeah, so that wasn't initially the the idea to start two companies. Um, so we started Ad Reform first about a little bit over a year and a half ago, um, just me and a, another a business partner, Kyle. And so um, while we were building that company, we were one thing we were really struggling with was. Um, having kind of gathering feedback from customers, but also uh, we were talking to customers all the time, but we weren't able to sort of derive insights from that and figure out what customers were asking for the most um, and things like that. And so we, um, we actually ended up building a tool internally for ourselves at Ad Reform and uh, started to use it. We were having a lot of success with it. Um, our revenue grew like 10x from the time that we started wow. using that internal tool. And so we were like, hey, let's just uh, let's spend about a month 
full time on on user feed, build something out, make it commercial, and see what the market says about it. And so far, we've had a, a really great response. And so it was kind of a, a internal itch that we were scratching, and just decided, you know, let's let's go out there with it and see what happens. And a lot of companies get started that way, so we figured we'd um, you know throw some time at it and some some investment, and and so far so good. So now they're both growing at a similar pace now? Um, yeah. Uh, so we've, um, it's hard to say like how much time we spent on both just cause it's a little, it is a little bit chaotic trying to, to go, uh, go at both. But, um, I mean, ad reform is continuing to grow, uh, almost kind of without doing much of, of anything. Um, while on the other hand, we are spending a lot, a lot of time on user feed, um, we've been able to gain uh, quite a few customers in a pretty short amount of time. We, we launched the product about four months ago, um, and we already have more customers with user feed than, we, than we've had with ad reform in a year and a half. Um, so, you know, we're seeing kind of some light at the end of the tunnel there. So we're, you know, putting our time into user feed because of that. So, so now tell us about how user feed actually works for the customer. So there's there's actually a, a product that um, a lot of people listening may know about called Intercom, and it's a uh, it's one of the fastest growing SaaS products probably in, in the U.S. or maybe even the world. I'm not sure, but basically the product um, allows uh, companies to to engage with their customers. Um, so they have like a live chat uh, part of their product where you can talk to customers that are mm-hmm. in your app. Um, they have a bunch of other kind of uh, triggered marketing emails based on certain behaviors that customers do inside of your product. So there's all this cool stuff that they do, but um, they're really well known for being a, a kind of a support, like li- live chat support. And so we use that inter- we use that internally at Adderform, and I've used that at other places that I've been before. And we we're able to gather a lot of really good feedback through those conversations. Customers are like feel um, super comfortable having conversations through that uh, channel. And so what we wanted to do is is um, find a way to basically gather insights from those conversations and push them to a central location where you can manage those uh, conversations and the feedback coming from those conversations so that you could then kind of figure out, you know, what things are customers asking for the most, putting a little bit more of a uh, kind of a big data uh hat on in terms of looking at feedback rather than just like, oh, this person asked for this thing, someone, hey, let's shoot it over the product team via Slack or email or something. That's that's what tends to happen. And so kind of looking at that more from, you know, wh- what are we seeing the most over time? What are we seeing? What are we seeing the most, from, you know, over the last month? And then making product decisions based on that rather than just sort of gut feel. Now, is uh, artificial intelligence or machine learning involved in that? Uh, not so much yet. Right now we're, we're kind of just trending based. I mean, I mean, I think some people would probably call it uh, AI. Like a lot of people like to throw that around, uh, pretty lightly, but we're not, um, I wouldn't say there's anything, um, um, we're not going down that path too much yet, but but right now typical chatbot interaction is, you know, how can I help you? And the person types in directions or how much does it cost or something like that. And you're trying to use that as more of uh, let me move them down a sales conversation. So there, yeah, you, you can have those conversations that are more sales type conversation. And that's, you were just talking about chatbots. So, um, 
a lot of people come to your site and they have questions about pricing or these kind of things instead of like filling out a form, which is kind of the more traditional way, fill out a form, give me your email, your name, like what, right. what type of business you are. Like no one wants to fill it's that like stuff out. It's like a frequently asked question. Exactly. So like right. build out basically a bot flow where they can, um, you know, you ask a question, you give a couple of different, uh, you know, uh, options of things they can pick, they click that and it just takes them through a whole flow and nobody on our end has to do anything until they get to the end of that flow. And then you can actually just talk to them, right. um, you know, a live chat conversation. So there's some really cool things you can do from a sales perspective, but, um, on the, the feedback side, typically when, uh, customers re- like when people send surveys, which is the traditional avenue of customer research, you send surveys, most people don't fill out the surveys. Most people don't even see the surveys cause it's via email and people don't check everything. Um, and so the data you're getting isn't great. On top of that, typically people answer things in surveys as more of opportunity statements. So they didn't necessarily have a problem. You just happened to send them a survey at that time. And they, you know, they looked at their, you know, they think in their mind, like, what, let's see, what, what would be an approved product? So it's more of like opportunity. It would be nice to, or it would be nice if you could do X, like that's an opportunity statement. So when you're actually having support conversation, live chat support conversations inside your app, people typically are having a challenge at that moment in your app. Hey, do you support X? How do I do this? I'm having an issue with this. Those types of, we call that problem statements and getting feedback through that avenue. First of all, you get a lot more feedback and you get a lot higher quality of feedback through those conversations because it's an actual problem that a customer is having. And so now you have a chance to like build a solution to a problem that they're having. So you're not building you're not building stuff based on things that are nice to have. You're building things based on things that are like the a customer real needs. pressing issue, a that real moment, problem. right? Exactly. And then, um, so when that conversation is occurring, you're having a, a human being actually doing the interacting mm-hmm. as it's happening. Yes. So uh, yeah, definitely in a support conversation, we want to talk. Like we want to talk to customers as much as possible. If they are having a challenge, we want to be able to dig into that. Like, why are you? You know, where are you in the app? Why are you having a challenge? What's your de- desired outcome of like a solution to that challenge? Um, we want to get all of that information, you know, as much as we can. And then we want to save that somewhere, right? You right. don't want to just like get rid of it or try to remember it or put it in a spreadsheet. Like you want to be able to, to uh, link that to a particular feature request so that your product team can go back to it and, you know, see the context around. So like how do you train request. the person to be a good facilitator? Well, I think number one, I mean, that would be LBI instead of AI. It'd be Landon Bennett. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So we, we do a couple different things. I mean, you definitely want to have like, it's not scalable to talk to every single person. Right. So you want to have some really good, we call it knowledge base articles, but basically it's like sort of like a help center, um, where people can ask questions and based on the questions they ask, there may be some similar articles that you've written in the past, um, that they can look through right so you want to have something that's a little more scalable where it's not like directly talking but i think in terms of actually talking to customers it's super important to uh be as empathetic as possible uh, a lot of t- you know customers are having problems so how do you train empathy well i there's certain you know obviously some people are more <laughs> empathetic than others um but you know i think i definitely think it's all about language so it's if somebody comes to you with a problem like even if i mean this is just traditional support, whether it's a restaurant or anything else, the, the customer, uh, they say the customer is always right, which may not necessarily be true, but you should at least your language should sort of be in that manner. Right. So I'm so sorry you're having an issue with this. Let's figure out how we can solve it. It's always kind of, um, 
talking to the customer from from that lens of um, you know we're we're sorry you're going through this. Let's figure out an, uh, some sort of solution to it. Um, so I, I I mean there's a there's a number of different um, things you can do to kind of train it, but I I just think kind of always having that mindset that, that the customer like you're trying to help the customer. I think that's kind of the right. the main. So now who buys on. user feed? Is it B2C companies? B2B? So no, it's B2B. So we we primarily work with other SaaS companies. So um, we integrate heavily with that, the company I talked about before called Intercom. So we already have like basically a, 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 t- a target audience, right? Anybody that uses Intercom would be a potential customer for us. And people that use Intercom traditionally are other SaaS companies or e-commerce companies. So you, you go look at... I bet you if you looked at every website of every company at ATDC, half of them would probably have this little thing at the bottom right-hand corner of their website, little <laughs> smiley face circle thing that you can click. That's Intercom. So um, the, the cool thing in terms of like going out there outbound to customers is uh, there's tools out there you can use to scrape the web to see what tools they're using on their site. So I can just go find a list of basically every company in the world that uses Intercom, every website that has Intercom on their site. Um, and then I can start, you know, reaching out to those companies. All right. So why ATDC? Why did you choose to get in, involved with ATDC? So I think back, to, you know, going back to um, some of the things I mentioned in the beginning, I think it's really easy to start a company in terms of just like straight up getting started. It's never been easier to start a company. And that's why you see so many co- people doing it <laughs> um, where, where it's really hard. What's, you know, what's really hard is actually growing a company. Um, and I think ATDC is is super helpful from that perspective, whether that's matching you up with larger companies who could be early customers, um, or whether that's uh, you know pairing pairing you up with mentors or um, helping you build relationships with other founders who may be able to help you grow in different ways. So I think it's all about like helping the company grow, getting you off the ground, which is the most difficult part of of any startup. It's not starting the company. It's that's actually pretty easy. Now, um, didn't Rigor go through uh, Tech Village? Mm-hmm. So, still, I think they're still over there. So now, why didn't you just stay at Tech Village? Um, so one, we're uh, we're a bootstrap company, so we'll find any way to to do anything for free. <laughs> so I I have a my buddy Tope is the founder at Calendly, and he's been super generous in letting us um, kind of park over there. So we have like our own little ad reform user feed row at Calendly in Midtown. Um, uh, but also, you know, I actually do go over there quite a bit. So I still go back over there. Um, there's a group I meet with once a month over there of other founders. I mean, I don't, I don't think it's like, I don't think it's necessarily like a competition in terms of where your company exists, whether it's at ATDC or ATD. Right. So you're seeing this as a very collaborative ecosystem yeah. that everybody's kind of working together. I think so. I think everybody. I would say everybody's like rooting for other companies right. in Atlanta. Mm-hmm. Um, I certainly hope these guys have success as well. Um, so yeah, I, I see it as more collaborative rather than some sort of. All right. So the early going, you, you decided, yes, I want that support. I, I got to see some of that before. Now I'm a founder. I want that kind of support. What does it look, kind of walk us through. It was, was the early part of it just sitting down with what are they calling me a catalyst sitting, right. s- sitting down with a coach or a mentor. Just walk us through some of the early steps if you would. Yeah. So I think the first thing we did was. We just we came over here, got a meeting with somebody <laughs> over here, and uh, mentioned we were interested in joining the program. Um, what they what kind of uh, went 
what we did after that was they had us meet with a bunch of different, um, ca- I think they're called Catalyst or EIRs, Entrepreneurs and Residents. And, and these are people, a, a great many of them, who have been there, done that. I mm-hmm. mean, they've, they've founded companies, they successfully exited. These are people with real scar tissue that are, I mean, they're, they're ready, willing, and able to share their experience, right? Right. So these are all either former founders or they were, you know, at larger companies. They have a lot of experience. They're executives at larger companies. And so they would sort of spec out your, I guess, your business plan or your idea or your product, um, what your plans are for the future. And what you have to do is you have to get somebody to sort of vouch for you to get into the program. It's like joining the mob. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, basically, so somebody, somebody has to vouch for you. Um, and so... We, we ended up, there's a, a guy here named Drew Lanham, who actually is now the, a founder of uh, Cypress.io, which is another company in here. Um, but at the time, he, he vouched for us, and he right. became our ERR. And um, you know, from there, he was sort of like our mentor. So anytime we had, you know, really anything comes up that we had questions on, we just go to him, and I used to chat with him all the time. So um, now he's a founder. <laughs> he just became the, our CEO that company so i don't talk to him quite as much anymore but i think we're actually going to meet after this but um but yeah so that's sort of the the process for getting started so now um with ad reform you said that's kind of like on autopilot right now kind of i mean we we still obviously we're supporting it we have a team that's um that's working on it uh we're still building things obviously maintaining um but it's you know it it's definitely a lower touch than um we originally set out. So what we tried to do with both companies is make it like frictionless, super low touch SaaS. Um, we don't, you know, you can sign up for free, get started for free, um, yeah. and then it goes through a trial, and then there, you know, everything is self service. So there's not, you know, there's oh. not quite much interaction for us to do. Right. Yeah. So now, um, if somebody wants to learn more about ad reformer user feed, like what's the what pain are they having where each of them and the solution that each of them brings. So with ad reform, um, ad tech companies, one of the things that they've always had to do, it's pretty, this is actually a funny story. So one of the things that going back to like media, like newspapers, um, whenever they worked with a brand, they had to show that their, that, that campaign was live in their newspaper. So they would literally have to tear out a sheet of the newspaper that had that (laughs) ad on it and show proof that it was like live and there it is, it's in our newspaper. Right. And they would send it in like a, you know, some sort of, uh, They'd send a note to the to the brand or whatever. So nowadays everything is is online, right? All these ads are online. It's all programmatic, depending on you know user data and stuff. So it's really really difficult difficult to like actually find that ad in the wild somewhere. So what we do is we help companies show proof of their ad on different sites. So now because that's a requirement that they have to show the brand like visual representation of those ads in that campaign live on different sites, we just help them to show that. And then as you experience on different sites, you probably notice that ads are just awful and they're a terrible user experience. They're slow. They pop up, take over the screen. They do all these horrible things. And so we also help um, uh, measure the user experience of ads before they go live. So companies can actually see if there's any issues with their ads or if they're loading too slow or anything like that. And so they can kind of QA that beforehand. And so that's that's who would buy Adderform. And then on the user feed side, any SaaS company that's uh, looking to do customer research or get closer to the customer, which obviously is super important, that's who would uh, that that's who would use. And user then feed. if they're already using Intercom, Intercom, yeah. And then if somebody wants to learn more, what's the best way to, to find information on either one of those? 
Yeah, you can reach us at adreform.com or on the user feed side, you can reach us at userfeed.io. All right. Well, Landon Bennett with Ad Reform and User Feed, thanks so much for joining us this morning, man. Keep up the good work. I will. Absolutely. Thanks for having me. Hey, stay with us a little while. we got a couple more folks we're going to visit with. All right? Cool. Okie doke. Next up on ATDC Radio this morning, we have with us with Beloved, you go something. How do you pronounce your last name, Hugo? It's Amuzier. He just says it really fast. Just say it really fast. And did, did we say the company name right though? Is it Beloved? Yes, Is Beloved. Some people say Beloved. Okay. Um, so what do you I prefer? Would... How do you say it? Uh, I say Beloved. Okay, yeah. then that's what it is. You're in charge. <laughs> so why would we Beloved? Well, um, are you guys uh, in relationships? As far as I know, I was when I left this morning, <laughs> but then I didn't leave the kitchen really clean, so we'll see when we'll I get see. home. Um, well, Blovit is a, a date night concierge, and what we do is we help busy couples plan awesome date nights, essentially at the click of a button. So if you can think So this is if to, you're in a relationship, yes, so this really is exactly. for somebody like, oh, I'm not absolutely. looking for a new relationship, huh? Oh. Absolutely. Hoping to keep this one. Absolutely, absolutely. Okay. Um, and it's actually funny you, you you mentioned that because I think that if you look at the market, sort of the relationship date date uh, dating market, you'll see that most of the assets, most of the brands, most of the products and apps are built around helping single Singles, people. Right. Exactly, exactly. Exactly. And so we saw this huge opening in the market where no one was building anything to help couples, people who are actually in relationships. And so that's where we found this incredible market opportunity. It's actually a twenty-two billion dollar market. That we're going wow. after wow. so yeah all right lee while we're doing this one of us and i've got the production computer going i, I think we ought to get it, it, this is a ongoing thing it's got a minimum viable product oh yeah absolutely the product is live you can sign up and use it and go on a date uh in about two days it, it takes about a two-day lead time for us to plan everything out for you and you know i can explain exactly how it works walk, yeah. walk me through it yeah absolutely so um you trying to get that out of the stand yeah. is that what you want to do oh, there we go awesome Perfect. So, um, comment on user feed about how that works. Yeah. <laughs> Let us know about that. The mic friendliness. <laughs> um, so, let's say you wanted to go on a Blovit date. Uh, you would go on uh, uh and you would sign up. And what we would do is we would ask you for your date night preferences. So, this is everything from uh, what kind of food you like. We break it down by uh, uh, food uh, groups. So, starch, proteins, desserts, drinks. We also ask you what kind of restaurants you like going to, what kind of fun things you like doing. Uh, and once you fill out your preference profile, uh, we use that uh, to make three dinner date um, restaurant recommendations for you. Uh, that's only the beginning, right? So, these so there's lesson one. You learn right then that your wife doesn't really like Italian. You've been taking her to Italian every time for the last three <laughs> so years. So does one ever- person... Fill it out. Or do we for sit both, out together? Or do we? The so couple fill it out. one person can fill out, fill it out for both. Um, so that way there isn't any friction where you have to get someone else to fill right. out because we actually tried that and it didn't work out. That so well. that would be a good exercise to <laughs> sit down with your significant other and actually answer some of those questions. That could be every. That could be a bonding experience right there. Okay. That's that. That's true. Um, <laughs> so we we actually tried that uh, that route and it took a little bit longer than Too we would time. like. Exactly. And so we yeah. said let's have one person fill it out and then the the, the other person can always go in and tweak Not things over time. Oh, exactly. I can see that exactly. happening. Yeah. Absolutely. Okay. Um, and so you fill out your preferences and then we send you three um, restaurant recommendations to choose from. But of course, each one is personalized to you guys' preferences, you and your right. significant other's preferences. But what makes Blevitt truly unique, um, or at least one of the ways, is that inside each of those restaurant recommendations is a curated menu 
that's actually built specifically for you where you can get to pick what you're going to eat at that restaurant before you actually get there. Now, the reason that that's significant and that's really cool is that when you walk into the restaurant on the night of your date, you now have a VIP type experience where right. you don't need to look at the menu. You it's not, already taken care of. Exactly. You actually never really uh, get a bill either. So when, once you're done eating, you can just get up and walk right out of the restaurant. Wow. Um, the restaurant knows you're coming. Wow. And so um, you're expected by the the host, knows, knows who you are. Your server addresses you by name because we've already let them know that you're coming. And and sometimes a manager will come out and say hi. Sometimes a chef will come out and say hi. And so it's this like new dining experience that's wrapped up in this sort of like date night experience. So now this requires you to have relationships with lots of restaurants? Absolutely. So we, um, last year we onboarded 100 restaurants on our platform and this summer we onboarded another 100. So we're working with around 200 restaurants around Atlanta, 200 of the best restaurants. So, you know, if you name a restaurant, you know, that you like, there's a high chance that we're working with them already. So now, um, when you're working with them, was this a hard sell for them? Like what, what's the pros and cons for the restaurant? Yeah, absolutely. So the restaurants love it. Um, and some of the reasons are, uh, number one is that, uh, we are, uh, guaranteeing them revenue before the couple ever steps into the restaurant. So if you think about that, right. Um, you know, it's very different from, from open table where open table says, Hey, you have a reservation. With Blavet, we say, no, here is revenue. Here's money we're actually sending you before the couple ever gets in the restaurant. So that's the first thing. The second thing is, you know, we're sending restaurants the kind of clientele that they want, right? So these are busy professional couples, right, with great jobs. Um, A lot of them have families, and so they're stable. Um, So these are the kind of people that restaurants want as repeat customers, right? They have the... the, the, um, Who owns the customer, Blavet or the restaurant? uh, We do. So yeah. then the restaurant doesn't know anything about us? Uh, so you know everything about us? Yeah. So we um, we tell the restaurants uh, a little bit about the couple coming in. Um, not too much, but just enough so that they can, you know, the servers can have, um, you know, conversation topics, you know, just to kind of keep things light and, and fun. Uh, but yeah, we, we definitely own the relationship with the, with the customers. And then you pay the restaurant? Yes. So the couple pays us and then we pay the restaurants. Exactly. And then what's the perfect... Beloved couple. Well, um, I wouldn't say that there necessarily might be a perfect beloved couple, but the the um, you know the the beloved couple that we're seeing uh, is the the husband and wife. Uh, so they're typically married uh, with potentially one or two kids, where um, they're busy professionally, but they're also super busy at home. So they have a lot of responsibilities, but they still value you know spending time with each other. Um, you know, call it once a month. And so they they know the value of investing in their relationship on a regular basis. And so they say, all right, instead of us running around to search on Google or Yelp or Thrillist or Eater, you know, why don't we just have Blevet take care of everything for us? That way we get to explore a new restaurant every time we use Blevet. So it's not a, like you can't say I got favorites or it's more for a discovery of new places. Yeah. So you, um, I think in the future will allow you to be able to pick the restaurants yourselves but we started off having your restaurant recommendations almost be a surprise to you and because it's based on your preferences you know our couples have always loved the recommendations right. this is right up your alley Lee yeah, yeah you, I like to try mine too I mean uh, Holly and I would thoroughly enjoy this as well but this is for you and Abby this is right in your wheelhouse 
And then is it an app or is it a website? What's the, how do I interact with it? Yeah, it's a, it's a website. So, uh, blovit.com and, uh, would actually love to, uh, to be able to sponsor a date for you. If that's something that you're, you're up for. And is it a, um, <laughs> Is it a? I, it, there's no fee to use it. I just pay you directly, and it's absorbed in that. So, I pay. so there actually is a is a fee. Um, so the way that it's set up right now, it's it's a monthly subscription, mm-hmm. and we plan one great date night for you every month. Uh, and that sort of planning service fee is nine ninety nine. Um, we're thinking that we might end up tweaking that in the future, but it's something we're still working on. And then, does that include the tip? Yes. So the reason that you can get up and walk out of the restaurant is because not only are the food and drink costs and dessert and everything included uh, in the amount you pay, but the tip and the tax are also included. And we tip our servers very generously. Every every beloved server gets tipped 25%. And so what what ends up happening is the level of service that you get at these restaurants is actually better than you would get if you booked the reservation yourself. Because I don't know how I'm going to tip. Exactly. And then... um, are you finding that people go on average once a month or what's the rhythm? Yes. Uh, so our our hypothesis was that, you know, we, we, we believed that, you know, every couple has their own date night cadence. Call it once a week, once mm-hmm. a month, right? And so we said, in order to test that out, let's try and create a subscription and see will people stick with the subscription? Is right. that date night cadence will actually play out? And, and we've seen that play out really well. Um, to the point where, you know, right now, 20%, well, 27% of our user base are what we call power users. These are users who've gone on at least five dates. Um, and then 20% of our user base are what we call super users. These are couples who have gone on at least 10 dates. Wow. Now, given that the product has really only been live for the last 16 months, a couple going on 10 dates means that, you know, we're, we're retaining those folks for, mm-hmm. you know, that's a fifth of our user base. We're right. retaining them for a pretty long time. Now, are most of your restaurants uh, inside the perimeter or they're... Yes, yes. Um, just because of the, the geographical constraints that we have, yeah. we had to start somewhere. So we said, let's start inside a perimeter. Um, and so the main sort of areas that we cover, uh, the Decatur area, the Buckhead area, the sort of Midtown, West Midtown, downtown area, and then the sort of East Atlanta, Inman Park um, area as well. Now, is it mostly dinner dates or is it uh, like weekend brunch? Yeah, so that's a great question. Um, We don't only plan dinner dates. Um, The awesome thing about Love It is that if you want to add like a fun activity to your night to kind of round out the night and do something else, you can do that right on the platform. Dinner and putt putt. Right, 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 exactly. (laughs) We've we've actually planned like a whole bunch of Andrew's behind. (laughs) We've we've actually planned like a whole bunch of really cool um, sort of we we call them encores. The thing you do after dinner, we call them encores. Uh, We've actually planned a whole bunch of really cool encores for our couples. We've done um, the High Museum. We've done concerts. We've done live music. Uh, this weekend, we're actually planning uh, the escape room for a couple of couples, which is really cool. Uh, so Eddie's Attic, we've done dessert encores, drink encores. Um, we sent a couple for their anniversary to um, the top of the West End, um, and we got them drinks. There was live music. And so, you know, for us, we believe that the best date nights are not just dinner and go home. It's, you know, dinner, but let's go do something fun, right? Let's let's really have a chance to be able to um, experience both sides of connecting. You know, we can sit down and talk, right. but we can also do something fun and connect that way as well. Now, what's your backstory? 
Yeah. So um, Georgia Tech grad. Uh, I'm from Nigeria originally. Uh, came here for college, and uh, I started off really in the finance world. Uh, I went I went to New York to do uh, investment banking, um, and then uh, and then did private equity for some time. And so very sort of finance uh, focused background there. But my true passion has always been in relationship dynamics. I've always, like, uh, growing up in middle school, like, I was sort of like the playground date doctor almost. Like, I'm the kid that you would come to. Like, when, <laughs> when, that, girl, when that girl you liked wasn't calling you back kind of thing. <laughs> and it's funny because, like, that passion really translated all throughout my life um, where in New York, and, you know, we get this a lot, but people always ask, like, oh, is it kind of like Hitch? And it, I actually did some something similar to Hitch in New York. Um, While I worked at finance in the daytime, I kind of moonlighted as this like, you know, date night planner guy, you know, that, and it, but it was really only with my friends, but it it was fun and it was awesome. And that's actually where I really got to learn about the pain point. But how did ATDC get into the picture if you're living in New York? Well, how baked was this before you got to ATDC? Yeah. Yeah. So, um, we got into ATDC last quarter, so it's really only been three months that we've been a part of ATDC, but it's been great so far. Um, so a year ago we got into, we're fortunate enough to get into the TechStars program here in Atlanta, uh, which was an, an incredible experience. And so we went through that. Um, and then right after that, um, you know, Jackie Ch- uh, Chu, who I've had a relationship with, she approached me and she said, you know, hey, I think you guys, you know, might be ready for, you know, sort of like the, the next level in, in, uh, in mentoring and, and, and advising, which is, you know, really the, one of the greatest benefits that we get from ATDC is really that, 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 that mentoring um, and so and that accountability. And so Jackie and Michael Sangbush are really the, the folks that we, we interact with and get a lot of val- value from. So now walk us through for a person that isn't part of this, but maybe is out there battling and has an idea. What is that like when you're talking to somebody and they're kind of giving you back the feedback and they're not really connected to your company at all, but they're just kind of a fresh eyes? Yeah, I think there's a lot of value in fresh eyes. Um, you know, I think that that's one of the things that, you know, any founder, I'm, I'm sure you guys would agree, is that you get a, a ton of feedback and you really have to decide, like, how are you going to synthesize that feedback and how are you going to use it, right? Um, because some feedback um, is applicable today. Some feedback is applicable six months from now. Some feedback is applicable five years from now, right? So you have to decide, number one, is it right for your company? And number two, when's the right time to implement that feedback? Mm-hmm. Um, and so that's something that, you know, it's just a, a skill that you have to acquire. Um, and so uh, not just with, you know, the advice that we're getting through ATDC, but, you know, we we pitch all over, you know, we pitch to tech stars, we, you know, we're always pitching, we're always selling as founders and you'll always get, you'll always get ideas. Right. right. Um, speaking of intercom, we have people on our intercom like every day, right. like, Hey, you guys should do this and you guys should do that, which is, which is great. And you want to listen to that, you know, but you know, as a founder, you want to take that and store it somewhere, you know, and say, all right, we should come back to this idea in six months time. I think we'll be ready for it. Mm-hmm. Or this is something we need to implement today, or this is something we should have implemented like yesterday, you know? So I think that's, that's an exercise. I know, right? Maybe. <laughs> hey, let's, there you go. let's trade, right? That's awesome. So now um, for you, are you still doing investment banking or is this, you're oh, all no. in on Blub It? Oh, no, no, no. All in. I mean, I was putting in like a hundred hours and doing, but there's, there's no way that I could balance. I mean, I don't think I have your, your talents or Mr. Land, <laughs> Mr. Landing to balance. You, you can do more than you think. That's true. That's true. That's true. So, that's true. so you're all in. 
yeah, this? I'm all in. Yeah. Do you have other people working with you, or you have a team? Yeah. So we're actually um, eight right now, although four four full time, four uh, part time. So you got investors? Or are you um, are you self funding this? Uh, yeah. So we do have investors, and we're actually currently still raising right now. Um, so we started off with a couple rounds of friends and family. Then again, we were fortunate enough to get into the Techstars program, and they made an investment. And so right now, we're raising our pre seed round. Uh, mm -hmm. that, that's going really well. So now, uh, had you, you had never done that before? You just read about it? In Raising school? money? Right. Um, yeah, I think the friends and family um, sort of was a nice intro into the whole fundraising process. I mean, it, it, although it's completely, it's completely different, but it was nice in terms of, you know, uh, getting the rejections. You got to get used to that, right? Um, and, just, and, and just really learning how to uh, tell your story. Really, because like at this early stage, um, people who are investing are really investing in you right. and the story um, and why you decided to do this and, and how, how much you understand the pain point that you're trying to solve. Um, and then what early traction you have. I think that's really what people are investing in, really the team and the and, and um, So had you had any traction before getting involved in Techstars or ATDC? Had yeah, you? that's a that's a great question. So we actually ended up pivoting when we got into Techstars. Um, our first idea was an all-purpose app that could help anyone, sort of married, single, guy, girl, find the best date ideas in the city. That's mm -hmm. actually how the idea sort of first started off. Um, and so it was kind of like, I would say like maybe like a Yelp 2.0 specifically for, for finding date ideas, right? Uh, we launched that and we got some, some good traction. But I think one thing that we did that I would advise really any um, founder to do is stay really close to your customers um, and get as much feedback as, as you can. I'm sure you would agree, Landon, right? Um, uh, and so that's, that's what we did. And uh, what we ended up realizing is that you know, although we had all these awesome ideas and our content was great, there wasn't enough of a forcing function to actually get people to go out and actually do do the ideas, right? People would browse the app and say, oh, this is really cool. But then we would ask them, hey, so have you actually gone on a date and done this thing? And, you know, it would, it would be crickets. And so we said, man, like, why, why aren't people, if these... If the content is, is good, as, as you, you guys say it is, why aren't you acting on it? And essentially what we learned is that a lot of people are, I mean, we're all busy, right? We all have the desire. We all have the um, the, 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 the willingness, um, the capability. You know, a lot of couples will actually budget for date night. Um, but to actually get out and actually make it happen, um, that 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 requires like a little bit of a forcing function. And so what we found out is we said, if we can remove every single point of friction to get them to actually do this activity, I wonder if they'll do it. That's where the subscription came in? That's where the subscription came in. That's where the, you know, we'll send you the restaurants. You don't have to go out and find it. That's where the, you know, we'll build you a menu so you don't have to go and research on the restaurant's website. Right. It's like Netflix. Like, they have a million choices. They're trying to make it easy for you to pick. Exactly. But how much time do you spend just browsing and then you just exactly. end up not watching anything? Exactly. So there's this. <laughs> so there's this. But they get, still get their 10 bucks. So they don't care. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, there, so there, I'm sure you're familiar with sort of this, this concept of, sort of choice paralysis, right? You have so many options right. that you just don't end uh -huh. up picking anything, right? And so we said, you know, one of the biggest problems that we found when we were doing our early research is that there are so many potential like restaurants and things that you could do in the city that narrowing it down to one thing 
um, was just, it was just too much work. It was too much research. It was too, too many decisions to make. And so we said, why don't we take as many of those decisions out? Um, so, so now literally all, all you have to do at Blavit, you get your recommendations once a month. All you have to do is pick where to go, what to eat, and then you pay and you're done or, and, and, and when you're available, literally those three decisions are all you have to make. And then boom, you're out on your night. Right. This is so hitting home with me. We have an envelope. You know we're on the envelope system. We yes. put we put money in the envelope for groceries. Oh, gas, saving up to. Oh yeah, yeah. We have a date night envelope. Oh, you guys should totally. But we don't always go to the envelope. The envelope's <laughs> probably got five date nights <laughs> stacked up in it. Yep, that's you know? a, that. That's exactly what happens. You need exactly blood it. Just, that's exactly we do need blood it. So the answer is yes. We're absolutely going to do a, a awesome. date. Awesome. Uh, you have a blast. Well, we'll have we'll have trust stamp and uh, ad reform and uh, what was it? user fee. Well, we'll make them the sponsors, but Lee will pay for it. <laughs> But so that's I, fair. We're going to send Lee and Abby or Stone and Holly or maybe all of them. I don't know what we're going to do. This is fantastic. Thank you, sir. Well, how exciting for you. Yeah. You. I appreciate that. And then if somebody wanted to go, what's the website one more time? So it's Beloved. It's spelled B-L-O-V-E-I-T. Um, it's a little bit of a funky name, but it's, it's, um, it's definitely memorable. So if you want to have a date inside the perimeter... That's the yes. app to go to or the website to go to. Absolutely. And uh, we're also offering um, uh, users who sign up for the first time 25% off their first date um, just because we're so confident that if you try it, we think that you'll, you'll really enjoy it. And the commitment is one. A subscription, or do you have to commit? Is it a monthly like a year? Yes, just what? Yeah, it's it's month by month. Mm-hmm. Um, and so yeah, and try it, and you know, if you don't like it, you can cancel anytime. All Good right. stuff. So we're going to do this. We're going to wear a trust stamp shirt and uh, uh, is that the beloved shirt? User feed yes, hat is, on yeah. our date. Swag goes a long way. That's here. right. We're absolutely. All over the place. We're going to make it happen. <laughs> hey, stay with us. We're going to visit with one more guest. Lee, you ready for the headliner? I am. He's been waiting there very patiently. I've, I've seen I him, saw him nod. He signed up he's, for a beloved. Yeah, he's on there. He's in there. That's fantastic. Uh, we're going to keep precedent and not even try to pronounce this gentleman's last name, but please join me in welcoming to the broadcast. With Trust Stamp, Andrew, how you doing, man? I'm doing great. How are you guys? You got to lean in there. Rock star close, buddy. Uh, tell us about Trust Stamp. How you serving folks? Sure. So um, Trust Stamp is first and foremost um, an AI and biometrics company. And what we do is um, address really two fundamental business questions that you have to answer before you can transact with someone. It is, who are you and should I trust you? And so we combine um, AI with biometrics technology and apply something that some people may know about and is called hashing technology um, in order to establish a digital identity. So tell us about hashing technology. Sure. So um, I'll take a little bit of a step back just to kind of give it a little more context. Um, So a lot of people are familiar with biometric technology. You know, the first one that we as consumers were familiar with was the fingerprint scanner on the back of our phone. Um, That was the first one we really interacted with. Um, The second one was the iris scanner. Samsung launched that. um, And some people still use it today to get into their phone. And then, of course, um, Apple. Uh, unveiled its facial recognition system to get you back into your phone. And those technologies are turning up more and more places because it's so much more convenient and, if done correctly, is a lot more secure than a username and password. Um, But one of the big questions that everyone who uses these kinds of systems has to ask themselves is, all right, that biometric data is being stored somewhere. 
where is it and how yeah. safe is it? Um, because if that data is lost, I can't exactly go out and get new irises or new fingerprints, despite <laughs> right. what uh, you know the latest Mission Impossible movie might suggest. Um, it seemed very doable in the movie. Yeah, if, if, if you're Tom Cruise, absolutely. There, there are a lot of things you can do if you're Tom Cruise. Um, but the, the application of the hash technology was meant to really address that major security concern. So when TrustStamp encounters a biometric, um, we convert it from its original form into what is called a hash. Now, a hash is different than an encryption. An encryption, by its nature, is meant to be decrypted. Whereas a hash is a one-way process. Um, I used to anecdotally say um, that there was a one in a billion chance of having another hash that was the same as yours. That's how unique it was. Um, I was talking to the um, computer science division over at one of the major credit bureaus. Um, one of them began shuffling very uncomfortably, and he said, and he said <clears throat> that's, that's 1.3 quadrillion. Uh, chances based on the, the methodology that you're using. It's not one in a billion. Wow. Um, so it's a one-way process is, is the short answer. Um, you know that each hash represents a real person because, again, it's tied to a biometric. Um, but that hash is a lot more secure to either store or to share across your organization, which is another major limitation for a lot of companies who are trying to use biometrics. If I collected it for the specific use case, it's really, really hard for me to share it across my organization. But now it's a string of code, a string of code that can't be reverse engineered. It's not considered what's called personally identifiable information, so there's a lot less of a regulatory and compliance headache. But I know that it's associated with a real person who I pre who I've previously identified. Now, are there certain industries that are more apt to want to use this than others? Sure. So um, the industries that we've seen who are most interested um, are those who are subject to um, regulation, but more importantly, those who are experiencing systemic issues of what's called synthetic identity fraud. Um, so because of the amount of personally identifiable information that's now floating around on the internet, um, you know, be it your social security number, your address, your date of birth, um, all those other attributes that we've seen leaked from credit bureaus to healthcare providers to the governments themselves. Um, fraudsters are becoming increasingly apt at using that information to create completely fake personalities. So they don't even need to take over your account anymore. They'll just make someone up. And they'll get them into, for example, a bank system, start running some real transactions so oh that my. that looks like a real person. They'll run up their bill and then they'll just disappear. And the bank has no idea. They think that was just a bad customer when in reality that person never existed. So financial they're using biometric. Sorry, go ahead. They're using biometrics to f create this fraud. No, so they because a lot of financial institutions have not yet implemented oh, biometric technology. Because they have it, then they're able to do it. You got it. But if they had used some sort of biometrics, they would have eliminated that? Uh, yeah, if they do it correctly, it definitely cuts down in the opportunities. Um, one of the things that you have to consider when looking at biometric technology is what's called proof of liveness. Uh, the business has to be able to verify that that biometric came from a real person at a specific point in time. So I'm going to go off on a little bit of a tangent that might sound a little bit mission impossible, but it's happening. Um, so that fraudsters are actually becoming very efficient at um, taking fingerprints, be those um, 
ones directly off of a device. Um, a research uh, group at a university in Japan showed that they could recreate a working 3D model of your finger, provided they had an image of it within 30 feet. Oh, and they can my. use that to beat fingerprint wow. scanners. So they can take it like off Instagram. Uh, yeah. So if you if you have a picture at your you know name your favorite sports team going we're number one, you might want to rethink leaving Whoa. that picture. Is up that there. true? Man. That's Absolutely. true. Absolutely. Absolutely true. You can go look it up. You can look at Japanese University. Um, I'm trying to think of the keywords that you, everyone could use to find it. It's Japanese University recreate fingerprint. Wow. Um, it's crazy stuff. Scary. Wow. And so when you have a biometric, you need to be able to prove that that's not a copy of someone else's biometric. Um, you know, another very relatable example is voice biometrics. I think we've all heard the stories of kids going on their parents' Alexa device and, <laughs> you know, use, recording the password because, you know, kids are that smart these days um, and using it to get in and order themselves, I don't know, video games, toys. I don't, I don't know what they do these days. Um, so but what proof of liveness would solve there would be the device could tell, hey, that's a live voice or that's a recording of a voice. Um, so then um, the biometrics, obviously, they open up a can of worms. In one way, you think you're safer, but in other ways, you're not as safe as you think you are. Yeah, so that's why I, I, I kind of keep adding that um, uh, qualifier that you have to do biometrics right. Mm -hmm. um, so biometrics have to take into account proof of liveness. You can't subject your users to replay attacks. Secondly, you've got to have a system in place to protect that data once it's stored. Um, we think hashing is the best way. It's why we've committed so much time and resources to it. Um, because if you just encrypt it, there's always a key to undo it and someone could give it away. Um, and then that last piece is, particularly for the major corporations who implement this technology, it's got to be useful. Uh, to more than one problem in the organization. Because identity is important across your business, regardless of which business unit you're interacting with, you're still going to have to prove that it's you at some point or another. So it's really that omni-channel nature um, that's the third really important factor there. So now, in your company, are you working with uh, customers that have already implemented some sort of biometric solution, or are you just helping them get this the whole thing going? So we're doing both. Um, so one example is we're working with an S&P 500 bank. Um, they are using us for their um, retail uh, credit cards that they issue. Because what was happening was um, their customers were locking themselves out of their accounts. I think we've all forgotten our username and password as they yeah. become more and more complex. Um, but if you locked yourself out, you would have to answer those annoying, what are called out-of-wallet questions. What was your last payment on this specific date? Well, you can't remember, was it 17 cents or 71 cents uh, on that last transaction? But for this particular bank, if you as a cardholder failed to answer those questions, you got locked out and that account got shut down. And so customers oh. were calling their retail partners saying, I'm never shopping here again. Right. And then subsequently, they were taking their wrath out on the bank. So we made a last a last chance um, solution where you can prove your identity using a biometric and an ID document. And since implementing that technology, um, the bank has had 80% of the customers they would have otherwise lost back in and actively using their accounts. So then what do they have to do now? So now all they're going to do is they're going to take a short video of their face and we'll create a 3D mask. And so once we know that that's you and that's you in front of the camera live, we'll compare it to the so photo you to ID. Move, you can't 
you can't stay still. Or- so you can absolutely stay still, but the proof of liveness is stronger on a on a uh, video. Mm-hmm. And because in this specific instance, they already suspect someone might be trying to take over your account, they want that extra bit of confidence. But we can absolutely apply it to a still image. So then you just turn your phone around and video yourself for a second, and then uh, that now enables me to get into my account? Yep. So you'll compare your face to your driver's license here in the U.S. Um, we'll make sure that those faces match and then you're back in. Um, but How fast can you do that? So the fastest person we had was for the entire process sub 15 seconds. <laughs> On the long end, it was a minute. Like what about an old person? No, yeah, that, that's who we assume was on the long end. Again, we didn't have any information on them because we were just looking at a hash. Right. Um, but one of the things the bank was most excited about was because we were capturing hashes of everyone we encountered, we've actually identified and caught 63 unique fraudsters who were um, causing repeat problems within the bank's network. But why would a fraudster do this? They hadn't figured out what it was we were doing. Oh, they thought they were gonna, could get away with it. They thought they could get away with it. So um, we began comparing hashes and saw that <laughs> some of them were associated with more than one identity. And so we turned it over to the bank's that's risk odd. and fraud team and said, yeah, that's, that is really odd. This face appears with five different names, times. five different addresses, et cetera. Right. All yet, over the world. Exactly. And so we said, you know, um, you might want to go check this person out. And in one case, they actually um, shut down five accounts that a fraudster had with the same big box retailer. So now tell me about these fraudsters. Are they individuals or are this part of like nation states? Like who are the bad guys? Well, it depends on which of your... You're, which of my clients you're asking me about. Um, so if you're talking about the banks, um, we assume that these are individuals, sometimes, you know, kind of a fraud ring, if you will. Um, fraud rings are more systemic in certain geographies. That's part of why a lot of devices nowadays ask, what's your location or will you share that with me? Because sometimes that'll give them an indicator. Um, Should you do that if they ask? That's entirely up to you and your your personal privacy what do you uh, think? preferences. Um, I have always lived under the assumption that I'm not doing anything that I have to hide. If I share more data in most cases so far, I have not uh, been exploited. Um, I actually get better service if I share data. Mm-hmm. So I'm, I'm always pro-sharing, but I know that that's just my personal right. preference. Um, so now, uh, so there are certain rings where there it's just kind of a bunch of bad guys collaborating together yeah, for absolutely. best practices. Yeah, these guys. <laughs> right? I, Isn't that true? That's yeah, I, I feel like we could rig up, you know, a new like AMC or HBO series on this. Because these guys, if you, if you dig into um, some of the research they've done on these groups, these guys can be really sophisticated. <laughs> I mean... Um, they share best practices. They can coordinate attacks um, on certain institutions. And they'll watch the news. They'll share information and see, huh, I think so-and-so has this vulnerability. They use this process, but not this process. I mean, these guys are smart. Um, I, so the, the chief fraud officer um, at the bank that we work with made a, made a great statement. And he said, so you guys do realize that if you, if you put this in place, these guys aren't going to go home and, and get say, a oh, job well, at McDonald's. We tried. Yeah, they're yeah. not going to say, "Ah, oh, shucks, you got the best of us." This is an ongoing problem, and so it's wa- part of why we implemented uh, a new feature in the hash. So each hash again is a unique representation of a biometric. 
but within it, we left 128 blank fields um, that are intentionally encrypted so they can be decrypted. And that's so that whatever business uses the hash can append whatever additional authentication data that they need in order to meet their uh, risk and authentication requirements. So it's something that you can update over time and continue to raise the bar as these fraudsters keep attacking your system. Because again, they're not going to go home and get a job in McDonald's. All right. So who are we working with here? Banks makes perfect sense. Uh, mm-hmm. What about the uh, the medical field with healthcare. the medical records, healthcare field? Is that Yeah. So Trust Stamp itself is not working with any healthcare providers today. Um, But it's absolutely an area, and it's interesting, um, we spoke to someone on the government side uh, who is in the Medicaid space, and he said, um, so banks lose approximately $20 to $30 billion a year to identity-based fraud. He said, I want you to multiply that by 10, and you've got the health insurance, healthcare fraud numbers. Because there are so many opportunities to commit fraud, and the transaction amounts are so much higher. Um, So for us, one of the super simplistic solutions would be submit your biometric when you check in. All you're doing is you're standing in front of, you know, an iPad and submitting your face. The hospital will verify, yep, that's you. We'll tag it with a date and a time and a location to show you actually checked in at that point. And that lets them know, hey, this is this real person associated with this real um, insurance plan. And here's where they checked in. Oh, but by the way, you as the consumer, now you can't be defrauded either. So no one can uh, start charging you for um, healthcare services that you didn't receive. So that's a very common one that also happens. You know, um, little Miss Jones, who's, you know, 65 years old, goes to get her um, check from the chiropractor. He charges her once a month, uh, but he, runs one additional charge each month and then um, charges it again and again, even after she's deceased. Uh, It's a very, very uh, easy type of fraud to perpetrate. But if you have that biometric check-in with, again, the real biometric, your date and your time, that all goes away. So now, but right now you're not in healthcare or you're just getting into healthcare? So we're we're looking for the right partner to go into the healthcare space. But your your um, service can help them. It's Absolutely, just, you're just not there yet. Absolutely, it can be. Well, technologically, we're there again. We've got to right. find the right commercial partner who is serious about implementing this. Um, is that surprised you that you haven't already? Um, well, it's interesting. So we, as an identity solution, kind of have a bandwidth problem um, at the moment, which is a good one to have. Identity is such a broad, horizontal problem that goes across so many verticals. We as a startup have to be disciplined about which yeah. opportunities we right. go and attack. Because it'd be, it's, you know, for a lot of these large corporations we end up working with, they have a lot of resources they can burn through. Um, I have only so many hours in the day. My team has only so many hours in the day. So we've really got to prioritize who it is that we work with. Um, and part of the reason for holding off in healthcare was government came first, interestingly enough. So we're actually partnered with a group of attorneys general um, here in the U.S. and in Mexico. And they very aggressively wanted to pursue a pilot to use our technology to um, solve the problem of human trafficking between the U.S. and Mexico. Because one of the major limitations was if a girl is seized in Mexico, it's very often she's brought to the U.S. for the purpose of the sex trade. And if the family brings in a photo, that photo gets passed from local police to national police in Mexico. The... um, 
two nations wrangle over whether or not that data can be shared because it's sometimes considered personally identifiable information. It might go into the FBI database, and if it does, it might get down to local police who, if they find the girl, they have a needle in a haystack exercise. They're literally scrolling through photos trying to figure out, is this the same person or not? It's, it's, it's a bit of a farce. But now, using our technology, what's going to happen is that when the family brings in that photo, the local police are going to take a picture of that using a mobile device. We'll create a hash unique to that girl. We'll put a date and a time to it and who uploaded it. So that when the local police in the U.S. find it, all they have to do is get a picture of the girl and the system will either say no or it'll go, bing, yep, we've got a match. We're not going to give away any personally identifiable information, but here's when it was it's uploaded, a, here's who you need match. to go talk That's to. That's all they need to know. Really. You got it. That's right. all they need to go through the right judicial process and get a warrant. So now talk about um, why ATDC. So ATDC was really interesting. So um, we had been up at ATV uh, for a number of years, had a great relationship um, with Karen and David Lightburn up there, um, graduated from ATV, and we had been um, pretty relentlessly pursued by uh, Frank and Jane down here at ATDC. So, so when we asked ourselves what's next, um, ATDC was a logical choice. Um, there's a lot of really good synergies, not only between the startups, which I think um, some of the guys have already referred to, but it's also, um, you know, various potential corporate partners coming through, uh, venture capitalists from around the country stop by, um, to look at ATDC companies as well as various other industry experts who make themselves available so you can pick their brain and, and make a better product. So you've seen specific value just being around here? Oh, absolutely. The 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 power of serendipity has definitely proven itself out here at ATDC, in my opinion. And then for you, what's next? What do you need more of? Um, can we get more hours in the day? That one would be really, really <laughs> or nice. Or clone yourself you're working on that? <laughs> Side hustle cloning? Yeah, there are, there are several team members who I would definitely clone right away. Um, but yeah, right now it is continuing to triage those growth opportunities um, so that we continue to refine our solution, um, but also um, continuing to grow the team so that we can provide a high level of service that a lot of our partners have grown accustomed to. So it's it's scaling the team, um, but also kind of managing our time and our opportunities. Relentless prioritizing. It's it's hard. I, you know, the guys have already referred to it. You you sometimes just got to be tough on yourself and say I. I just don't have time for this right now. I will get to it in, you know, X number of days, weeks, months. And if somebody wanted to learn more and have more substantive conversation, what's the best way to find you guys? Um, so the best way to find us is to go to truststamp.ai. Um, if you hit the contact button, contact us button, those emails still go to me. I still like to know who's asking about us and who wants to talk to us. That's just a, a, a strange thing about me as a founder. Um, but you can also um, find us on social media. Good stuff. Well, thank you so much for sharing your story. No, thanks for having me. All right. This is Lee Cantor for Stone Payton. We will see you all next time on ATDC Radio. (laughs) 